Hello, Les Raymond here with the Mindful Movement. Whether you are about to enjoy one of Sarah's beautiful meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to remind our community that the best way to support the Mindful Movement is to support the companies that make this happen. Sarah and I are very picky about the companies we choose to work with, and we are grateful to have the relationships we have and to share them with our listeners. You can learn more about our affiliates through our website by clicking on the Favorites tab. We are excited to have recently added Sunlighten as an affiliate. They make state-of-the-art infrared saunas, and their founder, Connie, came on for a recent interview if you would like to listen. Our Sunlighten sauna has been a family favorite for over a decade. Some of our most popular affiliates are the grounding mats from Ultimate Longevity, which we sleep on every night, and the Apollo Neuro, which Sarah is now wearing daily to help manage stress. When you support these brands, you in turn are supporting the mindful movement and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Les Raymond with The Mindful Movement. Thanks for joining me today for another episode of the podcast. Today's guest is the author of The Align Method. He is the host of The Align Podcast, which I think is ranked one of the top podcasts in health and nutrition on the Apple Podcasts platform. Uh, it's a tremendous resource. I highly recommend you checking out his book, The Align Method, is an outstanding resource. It's a tremendous value. Tons of great, useful information, practical application tips. I highly recommend it. There's a lot of topics in that book that we didn't get a chance to touch on in this conversation, so I do encourage you to check it out. We'll put a link in the description below to the book. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Um, I'm still new at this. I was a little nervous. Aaron was actually, uh, being more experienced in the podcast world, was nice enough to walk me through some tips in the middle of the conversation to help settle my nerves, which I'm grateful for. And I really appreciate you tuning in today. I hope you enjoy, and I thank you for your listening. Okay, welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for joining us today. I'm grateful for your listening. I have a special guest today. He is many things. One is the author of The Align Method, an outstanding book that I encourage you to check out that you're going to hear a lot about today. He is the host of The Align Podcast. He's a manual therapist, a movement coach, and in my opinion, he's really a, a bright light out there in the world, inspiring others to explore um, their own well-being and ways to improve that. Please say hello to the audience, uh, Aaron Alexander. Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate making the time. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming out here. I mean, this is really new to me, the podcasting thing. And I still have like a lot of fear and insecurities around it, my ability to do it well. And it was just like, it really made my day just to see that, man, this guy that I've been listening to for a while is going to come out and have a conversation with me. I say, come out. You're in, are you in California now? I'm in Santa Monica. Yeah. Santa Monica. Okay. So come out over Zoom and have a conversation. It was, um, it really made my day and I'm really grateful for you to take the time. It, uh, it's kind of humbling and I really appreciate it. I just want you to know that. I appreciate that. Okay, so uh, recently I'm big into self-development and right now with you know, the current lockdown, I've really tried to, I guess, look for opportunities to see you know, what can I improve on and just kind of observe my daily practices and 
you know, where's the low hanging fruit? Where are the opportunities? And I'm always looking for a good book. And I don't remember exactly how your book came in front of me. I've been, I know I've heard you on other podcasts many times. And uh, recently I just went ahead and got your book on uh, Audible and listened to it. And I listened to it while I was like walking through the woods in my backyard and um, got a, it was just really great because I feel like you did such a great job kind of putting together so many aspects of well-being and as far as and from an application standpoint because you know sometimes it's really hard to find entry points for us to work in some new modality into our lifestyle and I felt like you made it really inviting and easy to say oh I could do this let me try this with a very accessible entry point so I want to thank you for the way that you put it together so it was very easy to listen to and, and really easy to implement to some level. And I'd like to maybe start out with letting the audience know, well, actually, what am I talking about? Before we get into that, let's learn a little bit more you, about you and like kind of where you, how you got to where you are now before we get into the details of the book, I guess. I was thinking about that literally this morning because it's like a, a common interview question, I guess, is, is like, you know, how did you get to be you, whatever that means for each individual person. And I think each person for the most part feels like they're in the same place they were when they were a little kid getting bullied or getting, you know, whatever. I wasn't really bullied all that much per se, but just felt very awkward and very like, you know, every day I needed to, I would be happy or cool enough or good enough or whatever when. And I think so many people that are in the kind of highest echelons of society, oftentimes they've just been filling these deficits for so long and they've never really gotten down to like the bottom of ever really just being content with who they are, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I think it's an interesting thing from the outside looking in, it's very easy for everybody to think that everybody's life is like more interesting than theirs. And uh, from the inside, for the most part, people are dealing with all the same internal kind of static that they've been dealing with since they were little kids in large part you know a lot of our development comes from like the third trimester probably before that to like age four to six territory you know and then from there it's like okay here's your software programs you know <laughs> enjoy the damage was already done yeah damage or blessing or whatever right. you know and, and so um i think that how wherever the heck i am you know arrived to this point I kind of feel like I'm just playing the algorithm, man. You know, I, I got, I got handed this, this, this deck of cards, this hand. And, you know, from there, and then I had a mom and I had a dad and I had an environmental situation. I had a cultural indoctrination and I had school and I had thoughts and beliefs and all that. And you kind of play each one the way that you see appropriate in that instance. And then you pop out into being this moment and someone says, how did you get to here? It's like, I don't know. I think I've just kind of rolled through it. <laughs> you know, here we are. Yeah, so that's not a very good response, but that's the way I feel. <laughs> it's well said. I mean, there's a, a cumulative momentum uh, of everything that's ever happened to us that brings us here. And yeah, we have this illusion that those things that brought us here happened at some other time or like before but it's just a series of present moments and we're just in this one right now. Yeah, and the thing that, that uh, I think is very valuable is 
so oft, so much of my life, including like even my morning, was spent in part thinking about those similar thoughts. You know, the 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 you know the wanting and then the aversions and then the wanting and then the aversions and thinking this morning of like, oh man, like I need to connect with this person. Or I need to like sell this many things or I need to do that. And then like having this underlying sensation of kind of like a deficit, you know, or like this void that like, okay, once I arrive there, then I'll feel filled up. You'll be good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, just behind that, that's like the superficial crust layer of your personality that you've come to be accustomed to. And then just below that is all the other good stuff, I think, you know, so there's like that static crust layer of noise, which isn't a bad thing. It's a great thing to navigate the world. Like Ram Dass said, you have to remember your social security number and your, your Buddha nature, you know, so it's like being able to operate within that crust level of all of the, all of the noise and the wanting and the projections and the goals and, you know, have your eye on the prize and keep on focusing on that. And then there's, if you allow yourself the spaciousness and the quietness, which it seems like that's a big part of what you explore with your channels and such. Um, if you allow yourself that spaciousness and that quietness to kind of sink a little bit below that, uh, then all of a sudden there's like this deeper layer of contentment that was always there. Just for the most part, we're not really taught how to be with that part. And so I go in and out of that. I oscillate in and out of that daily. It's easy to forget it. Even if you are taught at one point, yeah, well, t being taught something and actually putting in reps to make it be a part of who you are is, you know, they're, they're like very different. Everybody knows everything. You can't tell anybody anything. It's just a matter of, are you able to, and this comes into like the, with the, the book stuff, are you able to deliver a message in such a way that the person feels like it's accessible uh, and feels like it's attainable and feels like it's their idea as well, I think is really important. You know, so if you make something overly complex and convoluted and it's kind of like you're just spinning in your own intellect, you know, and kind of trying something that I've done a lot and I might be guilty of it right now in some of these sentences actually I'm hearing, um, kind of trying to make it sound as though you're like smarter than you are or stronger than you are or whatever it may be. And in fact, underneath all of that, you actually are much smarter and stronger and all those things than you, than you think you are. Hmm. You know, but it's that superficial crust layer that typically there's a lot of compensation that comes out of that. And so in the writing of, of the book, for example, that was a big part is like really making things bite-sized and making things accessible and making things personable and making sure that the, the author or that, you know, the teacher isn't coming from this like infallible pedestal, but is actually like, I'm just a dude trying to figure this shit out. Um, and here's my journey. And uh, I'd love to share and you're welcome to come along. You know, I think that's, that's a, 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 a fairly decent place to come from, from like a, a teaching perspective. That's well said. I know I'm guilty of the, the what I don't want to say flaws, but those tendencies in the gym environment as someone that the nature of the relationship in the gym where you're coaching someone is you're, you're directing traffic. I mean, you're asking them to do something. So there's this built-in kind of teacher-student relationship that's innate to the um, relationship, really, the why they're there. And it could be really challenging to not come off like an asshole when you're telling someone what to do. I mean, it's its own skill set. And if you make it complex and like you're teaching an exercise and there's, you know, 
seven different cues you're looking for, seven different like components of this movement, for instance. And if you vomit all that, those cues to somebody at once, it's like, it doesn't work. It doesn't come off very well. But if you like pick one little thing and I see those other ones and we'll get to that, you know, next round, next session, next week, next month, next year, whatever, you could like inch your way and just make these steps forward and just always be stepping forward and observing how that go and where do we go from here. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the, the book? Uh, I always mess how it's called, but I think it's called King Warrior Magician Lover. Have you heard of that one? I haven't, no. Oh, it's good. Highly recommended. I, I like went through it multiple times because it was so good and doing a lot of highlighting and all that stuff. Um, and it talks about a lot of Jungian archetype stuff. And a lot of people are still operating in like a more like a child archetype. You know, so each, each one of those, like, like the king archetype and the warrior and the magician, the lover, those are like the more fully fleshed out kind of grown up archetypes. And then there's shadow sides of each of those. And then there's also kind of like the nascent child version of each of those as well. And I think oftentimes when people are coming from a place of, they're in a, a, a place of power and then uh, they end up actually taking advantage of that power and using it to inflate their own ego. That's typically coming from a place more of like a, like a, a childish version of that, that king. You know, and so one of the things, I'm, I'm messing up what it said in there, but it's just, I think it said something along the lines of like, the king is as selfless as the, I think they might've called it the, the um, armchair tyrant, I think was the, like the young shadow side of the, of the king. But anyways, it's, the king is as selfless as that child side is selfish. And so when you can come into that place of truly like, I don't need your, I don't need the glory of this. I'm just here to be of support, you know, and I don't need the congratulations. I don't need the pats on the back. I don't need the, cause I'm just, I'm just here as a vessel to support and help. You know, when you really come to that point of somebody that's like a real master of something, they're not looking for your like, wow, like you, you killed it. You did great. Like, wow, this is you. It's like the, the master will always just reflect that back. Like, no, it's you. And it's not just a, oh, it's you because I read that in a book or I heard that was like a spiritual thing to say. It's like, no, it's you. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's well said. Yeah. Speaking of books, in your book, you mentioned my favorite book. And it, like, I never hear anybody mention this book or, or one of my favorite books. I guess one of the few books that I've read like more than four times, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh, cool. And it's, I mean, that book, like my, the, the program that I've developed over the years is kind of born out of that book for kind of a different reason that you mentioned it. But just when the fact that you mentioned it was like, uh, I don't know, it just sparked something into me. I just thought it was cool because like nobody I talk to will get through that book. Like I've yeah. dished that book. <laughs> like like yeah. you just recommended a book to me. It's on my radar. I guarantee it'll be read sometime in the next month or two. I mean, yeah, check it out. That's how I do it. And then you know, I've dished this book out so many times. It's helped me so many ways and I can't get somebody to, to seem to get through the whole thing. You know, that's one of those things. It's just hard to help somebody that doesn't uh, want to be helped. It's not willing to, you know, change the way they, they spend their time just yet. But uh, yeah, yeah, we, that don't, book, we, we don't need to force anything on, on people. Yeah. And if you just create that enjoyable little breadcrumb trail 
then eventually that creates enough momentum with a person, you know? And so, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, that book references this relationship to the motorcycle as like the technology and how there's two approaches like classical and romantic to interact with technology and with the idea of being able to ask yourself like does this now get you down the road better like does did you add more utility did what you did to the motorcycle add more utility did it serve and i relate that to like my movement practice of we are the technology the, our body and there's an idea there's like a not a goal that we want to be attached to but there's a direction that we wanted to move towards based on like our values and taking into context like what we're designed to do from an evolutionary standpoint and you it's very not i would say easy and there's no true objectivity because it's kind of born out of subjectivity in some way but we could ask ourselves like did this exercise or did this activity or this behavior add utility like is your body better at providing utility for the you that's inside like the you that's in there that you're a vessel that your body's a vessel for yeah. and i've always used that as like a guiding light of you know does this fit in the program and is this person expressing this quality through this pattern on this day in a way where we're adding utility to him or her yeah, yeah. and uh just love that book so many lessons in that let's um speaking of let's get into your book the um the aligned method what inspired you to put this book together? I think working with clients, so I'd worked with clients before writing the book for about 15 years, 14 years before like the book started to come into the making and we started like putting a proposal together for it. And through that time, there was a lot of seeing immediate effect and impact, like positive impact with clients and then seeing regression, you know, with time away. And so that became really interesting to me. And it's a part that I don't think we really examine enough. You know, we have like our tricks that we'll do in whatever the clinical setting is or classroom setting or where it may be. But I'm way more interested in what a person does for the other 23 hours a day, other than like the hour that you see whoever your practitioner is for once or twice a week. You know, so creating a, a really easily digestible manual on how to be more effective in the way that you drive your body, occupy yourself uh, outside of actually when you're intentionally in the gym or in the yoga studio or Pilates or dance or seeing your, you know, your physical therapist. Uh, that was the big thing that I feel like was, has, is a, a gaping deficit in Western culture because the mold that we inhabit is one that if you just allowed yourself to be like dust in the wind in Western culture, you would just be bombarded by advertisements all the time and you'd be hunched over into a position with your forward head posture and your shoulders would be rolled forward and you're got that hyperkyphotic spine, your knees are collapsing in and your feet a little, you're like, that's the mold that we've created is kind of a little bit like that. Um, you've seen Idiocracy, the movie? You gotta have seen that one. You never saw Idiocracy. Oh my God, it's an important one. That's, I mean, it's a comedy. It's very funny. Uh, you know, but in that, it's like the, the people of the future, because we've outsourced the necessity to learn and outsourced the necessity to move, we just become these kind of like withered 
atrophied, you know, Smithers from the Simpsons type creatures. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and everyone's, you know, dumb. And like the, I think the president is like some football player or something like that. And it's just, you know, it kind of veers in that direction. So I think that Western culture, as much as it has so much beautiful things to offer, like there's a lot of really cool stuff. From a physical perspective, what we've done is we've outsourced the necessity to need to have a robust physical body, you know, and our physiology ends up kind of waning because we just don't need to use it for things. You know, you go into a, a room, you know, I have my, my door open and the sun's coming in and, you know, I've got a cold plunge over here and then I've got an infrared sun over there and I'll probably jump in the ocean at some point as You're soon as like it's legal man. to do that. Yeah. You know, so every time that you do those things, your body needs to step up to the demand and say, oh, okay, cool. We need to figure out getting this person's body temperature back to, you know, 98.6. You know, it's like, it's really cold. Okay, we need, we need to show up for this person at a cellular level. Oh, it's really hot. Okay, we need to bring it down a little bit. Oh, they're, they're like walking longer than typical. They're like, they're, you know, they're, they're huffing and puffing. Like, okay, we need to figure this out for this person. You know, whereas what we've done such an, an amazing job as a, as, a, as a people, as a culture, is outsourcing all of that stuff. Uh, and now at a cellular level, the body begins to start to atrophy, you know, and it doesn't feel good. Like one of the, the, the sweetest feelings that I have in my body is feeling like really strong, you know, and feel like that this moment's like, you know, you did some squatting or some deadlifting or some something that kind of added this higher demand than what your body's accustomed to. And then for the next day, a couple of days, few days after that, there's like, it's like this ease that you move through the world with because now the weight is, is lessened. Everything else is easier, yeah. Yeah, but, but culturally, we've kind of done the inverse of that. It's like, how do we reduce the weight? You know, this gravity stuff is killing us. You know, I'm like, let's get out of that. But then what you see with, you know, astronauts, and there's, I did put a, include a bunch of research from Joan Vernicos in there. She's written several books on the topic. She was a researcher for NASA for like 40 years. Um, and she was helping with, with uh, the health of astronauts. And what she found was that astronauts, when they were in space, they needed regular drips of fitness throughout the day, as opposed to doing like this blowout CrossFit workout or soul cycle workout once a day. And then just letting their body kind of go into this zero gravity floating effect for the rest of the day. Frequency the people that mattered. Frequency mattered. Exactly. You know, so the people that did that, that blowout, and then just allowed their some, themselves to float, which is pretty typical to like the modern mold, uh, they would go into this rapid aging effect and their bones would become less dense and their muscles would turn to fat and their cognitive function would decline. And you know, all that they just like, whoosh, like turbo speed into, into uh, being older people. And, but the people that would do those, those titrates of fitness, those little drips of movement throughout the day with regularity, which is what we've done forever. You right. know, and it's what we still are doing if you're in a culture like they've been research. I'll shut up in a second. I realize I'm just ranting on, but they did, some, they did some research with uh, Hatsa tribesmen and women. Uh, recently, there was a researcher from UCLA that went out there and studied the various different people out there and, and um, was specifically measuring the amount of movement that they were doing throughout the day, but also what type of movement they were doing. So what they found was that the people weren't actually all that. It wasn't that they moved so much more. 
but that their resting positions were much more active. So when they were resting, they were in a deep squat, they were kneeling, they were toes sitting, maybe they had one knee up for a second, maybe they were in a 90-90 position, maybe they were laying on their belly for a bit, laying on their side for a bit, laying on their back for a bit, you know, and it's like, it's like, oh, interesting. So it's almost like there's this built-in onboard massage therapist, physical therapist in our bodies and if we allow them to relate to our environment in such a way that heals our joints and circulates our fluid you know but if you take away that environmental therapist you know and you bring some other western culture new age therapist that's smoking a cigarette and eating a bunch of processed nonsense and kind of hunching in like that's kind of like the the western environmental doctor <laughs> Yeah, I think, and then there's the nature doctor, which is like, that's the, like the naturopath. And they're like, you need to squat more and, you know, get yeah. more sunlight and drink more water. It's very easy. I think it's easy. I, I think it's well, not that it's easy. It's common. Like people overlook the need for the environment because that drives like motor control. I mean, that sensory input that we get drives behavior. I mean, even when you're learning how to move and you're a baby on the floor, you're reliant on the fact that you're on the floor in space and there's gravity just slamming away on you. Mm -hmm. And, and at that age, your head is like ginormous relative to your body compared to an adult. So like the act of getting your head off the ground and moving it around, like that's the beginning of strength training. And you're right. Yeah. Like it's, it's good to feel strong. There's an organization out there that is a large, like certifying body, in I guess strength exercises you call it called strong first and oh Pavel he's uh, right down the street yeah so I so my strength journey started with I guess the company that that was born out of which was um the RKC back in I think around like 2011 or so but you know strong first it's a great name and I guess their pitch is you could be anything you want just be strong first that yeah. of all the qualities to practice like that makes up for the most other qualities, the holding, you know, everything else constant, it makes everything else easier. And yep. what was eye opening in your book is like, I, I think of strength. Sometimes I think about it from like, um, kind of outside of the box, whether it be mentally or emotionally, or even like the ability for a single mom to raise three kids and the strength involved with that. But generally I think of it as, you know, the musculoskeletal system. And there's some things that like, I guess I, I don't look at. And one was really, well, no pun intended, eye-opening to me. You, you, you talk about the eyes a lot and really you speak about the senses in general and how they relate in the far reaching components of our life that our relationship with our senses brings. And it was interesting, like, just learning, like, there's this whole system. And just like you say, like, we, if we don't move around, we atrophy. And I think it's, it's kind of known that the older you get, the faster that rate of atrophy comes in. But like, there's all these other mechanisms within our body that it's very easy to lose sight of that aren't talked about as much. The eyes being one of them, the feet being one of them. And all the information that we get from them. And, you know, this Western culture we have, or it's not just Western now, like the screen culture that we have, yeah. where your eye is fixed at a, you know, one focal point, whereas 
if you took a more ancestral approach, it'd be obvious that yeah, we were out in the wilderness and our eyes were all over the place, looking at things at all different distance and all different directions. And, you know, that comes at a price, this, the fact that we're not stressing that we're not where we're diminishing the environment for our eyes. Can you, can you speak on that and some of the senses a little bit? Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, so <clears throat> one thing that's, I think the idea of strong first, and I know Powell, he's a buddy, like literally just like a few blocks down the street. And I, I really greatly value his perspectives. Uh, and I think that the strong first can be misleading. If like your idea is like, okay, just get strong. There's a lot, what does strong mean? You know, first, so there's all the other realms of strong, like you're describing, you know, being a, a strong person in a relationship, being a strong person in your business, being a strong person just for yourself internally, emotionally, um, you know, that's a really big deal. And I think your physical self trickles into that and vice versa, because at a structural physical level that impacts the way that you feel about yourself, creates this feedback loop that continues yeah. on. Um, but then also with strength, there's technique, you know, and so a person that, and I, you know, I do this in all sorts of things. And I, I see there's things that I see and probably lots more that I don't see, uh, you know, but strength comes from intelligence. It comes from technique. It comes from alignment. And so just because a person is pushing harder and working and working and working, uh, for that blowout CrossFit workout or whatever it may be, your soul cycle, we're just blasting themselves. That does create more resilience, at least like a like a, an aerobic a cardiovascular level. But strength comes from being able to orient yourself like that baby. You know, so that baby's got that big head and it's wobbling around. So it has to find this perfect alignment with gravity. You don't see it developing all these weird compensatory muscles and, you know, huge delts or biceps or abs or any of that stuff. It's kind of this soft, supple kind of floating in alignment within that field of gravity. So gravity isn't this thing that's bashing down on the child. It's actually a thing that's lifting the child up because if there wasn't gravity, it's kind of like, think of like a flower, like a flower goes up towards the sunlight and also goes up, you know, against in line with that gravity. So it's almost, you could almost say that the gravity lifts the child because if that gravity was coming from another direction, then the child would grow into that direction. So as much as, unless the child or the adult, or, you know, we're all just children we're all you know what, what is what is the, what is the thing adults are, are children wearing adult costumes you know we're all just running our own old Trying child to be. stuff yeah exactly yeah right exactly um you know but gravity if the organism the being is in structural alignment then gravity ends up being literally a, a lifting force which is a very interesting thing but if you're just a person that just is hammering out more squat thrust whatever things and just work harder 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 then that gravity can become very tiring and you're eventually asking for some form of burnout whether it's adrenal fatigue or whether it's some form of itis in one of your joints or you know right. any of that yeah i, I guess so, i think of it as the gravity like if you have the body in space and you have like these three planes and you have gravity and you have to produce force from your body like you have to produce energy in the form of force through the ground to, I guess, f align yourself against gravity. And yep. when the posture is not optimal, 
you have those compensatory strategies that you speak of. You have, and you have fatigue and you have an inability to function and perform. Whereas the more alignment, more aligned your posture is like that production and transfer force to the body becomes kind of effortless. And you have this like sweet spot yeah. where you're mm -hmm. not working so hard. Yeah. Yeah. So if you see a, a sprinter, you know, that's really fast. Uh, most of that contractile force that they're putting into running, it's being saved. You know, so you get the machine going, whoa, you know, off the bat, it's a lot of energy. But once you get moving, a lot of that speed is just coming from that person accessing their own elastic capacity through their hips and, you know, these anatomy trains, which is a, right. a, a, a um, Tom Myers reference. Uh, but you're connecting all of those different chains and those bands throughout your whole body because that sprinter has connected those dots. But if you're a person that's more like, you know, uh, like a bodybuilding background, which is kind of more what I was really obsessed with at a younger age, uh, you're almost breaking those trains up. You're creating separation in, in between each of those parts. It looks super impressive. You know, <laughs> it's like really cool to look at. You think that person's going to be super athletic, but in fact, they're super broken. You know, not broken in the sense of you know, it just literally like the 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 connection point between those trains. Use that same metaphor is disconnected. You know, so that's one of the reasons I know we're kind of, we'll get back to the census stuff, but something as simple as like play is a really valuable thing because, you know, if you can go out and just play tag with some friends or play basketball or play Frisbee or ultimate Frisbee or anything like that, your natural wrestle, like wrestling is such an important thing for, for humans, you know, roughhousing. I don't think like we're allowed to do that now. It's crazy, man. You're asking for problems if you take that away from children. You know, they're, they're learning how do I push boundaries appropriately. They're learning, oh, okay, too much. That person, hey, they slapped me. You're like, whoa, that was, a, what happened there? That was a learning experience. You know, they're, they're crying now. Holy crap. Versus like, I've never cried and I've never made anybody cry in my whole life. During that developmental time, I've just never, I don't even know. And now I'm this 30-year-old man with a, you know, money and I've got a gun and I've got this whole world. I've got this business, I have power over the world and I don't have any emotional intelligence because I've never, because I was never actually allowed to cultivate that during those developmental years that it's so flipping invaluable, you know? And so during those times, you're not only learning greater emotional intelligence, you know, but you're learning physical intelligence through that time that you you know, you rode your bike through a pile of leaves and then you hit a rock and you spilled and you tumbled out of it. You know, we need our kids to be doing that stuff and we need ourselves to be doing that stuff. Be willing to get lost in the experience of, you know, dancing to some weird music or, you know, Yeah, you mentioned like it's not just like play, like go play basketball or play with a ball. It's, it's more of like an approach to a lifestyle and like kind of yeah. like be more playful regardless of what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, being more yeah. playful in this conversation, not, not needing to be like, okay, you need to be this brilliant interviewer, you know, and I need to be this amazing author, whatever. It's like, let's just play. Oh, man, thanks for taking the pressure off. I appreciate that. Seriously, <laughs> you know, and then, the, and then at the end, then the conversation or whatever the thing is starts to roll. 
and you get into more of a flow state because you've removed that superficial crust layer of, you know, who I think I'm supposed to be and who you think you're supposed to be. And we go back and forth and this ping pong thing until eventually that's like with relationships, you know, when in relationship, you, you meet the representative, the re- <laughs> you know, and then I'm okay. Yeah. I'll have my rep. You, your people will talk to my people and you'll know, we'll have this thing. And then yeah. in three months you're like, okay, this is who I am. You know, and you're like, you're like, Oh, I don't even, I don't like this at all. <laughs> You know, it's like, well, what if we're just more honest, you know, from the get Every relationship probably has to go <laughs> through that. Even a successful one, like, of, that eventually becomes very healthy without the toxic patterns. And they do like or love each other. Like, at some point, you have to go through that and then, like, grow in tandem somehow where you're growing individually, but you're both growing yeah in generally the same direction yeah the question is just who how thick is each person's crust layer Mm. you know so you can have a crust layer that that's your whole that's your whole ball you know it's just this big thick crust 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 and then there's a little itty bitty core in there that like i don't want to show that part because then if you don't like the core part then you like really don't like me it's a very vulnerable place to be at well vulnerability is a practice thing. I mean, and that's one thing that I kind of like listening for, man. I mean, it's nice to just hear grown men, very comfortable practicing vulnerability and putting in the way they speak. And I find it really refreshing. And I don't think there's like a lot of it out there. At least I'm not exposed to that a lot outside of podcasts, like listening to podcasts. I don't Mm. get it on, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I don't see it in like the local community level very much. And I think that's one of the things that's drawn me to listening to podcasts to hear grown men be vulnerable and have like legitimate real conversations. And to me, it's inspiring. Well, podcasts, like anything is a relationship. So you could listen, not that I recommend anyone does, but you know, I've done not a ton of episodes, but I've done like, I think I'm at two, almost 300. It's like 280 something. Uh, you know, and so the first, I would say at least 100, 150, you know, I think I was shit, you know, like not, I mean, I was just learning, you know, but it was a lot of like, you get to see this Aaron character superficial layer trying to project that he's really smart, you know, and trying, it's like, it wasn't really about the guest. It was more about me impressing the guest with how smart I was, you know, and it's like, that's just all nonsense. It's all garbage. I'm yeah, sure I, I still have a little bit of that going on right now, being right. No, you seem you seem great. Well, you're like a wiser person. Like you're like oh, you inside, more, I'm terrified, man. You have more. <laughs> you have more years behind your belt. Like I started oh, the pod, older, I started the okay. podcast when I was when I was. Which I mean, more years could just be more deeply ingrained patterns. But um, you know, I, it doesn't seem like that's been your thing. It seems like you've been like watching what the hell is going on. I've no, been, but yeah. I I started it when I was 27. You know, and 27 is a fine age, you know, whatever. But I was, there's just a lot of like, God, I'm talking to these people that are like, you know, you're like multiple time New York Times bestselling author and you're like a Nobel Prize winning whatever, like all these things. And I'm just this asshole in my office that teaches people how to squat better, you know, and I'm recording to my, you know, my, my uh, blue Yeti microphone, just kind of talking to shit like, okay, I read your book. So I'm going to try to really show you this. And then it just, it makes it be kind of like two monologues as opposed to actually any form of dialogue and connection. And so that's a relationship though. 
So you see the first beginning portion of the, the relationship called the Align Podcast, which is the name of my thing, you know, and it's the first few while for me, it was like a year into the relationship, I would say, at least before I started having some semblance of I'm just going to show up and, you know, be as honest as I know how to be and see what comes of that. And right. it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be, you know, some, I think they end up being perhaps more helpful than others, you know, but I think that's a cool place to come from because then as soon as you disarm yourself, then that, which I noticed in the conversation when you were, when, you know, I, I mentioned like, let's just, you know, be ourselves and kind of, you know, whatever. I noticed there was almost like this sense of like, you were kind of jokingly saying, wow, it takes the pressure off, but it felt like it actually did. Oh, I think it was, I was being serious. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> and so that's an, that's an interesting thing. So we're joking about that, but it's like, oh, I actually felt, which I mean, we're all just creating our own stories in our minds, but I actually felt this level of like, oh, for myself as well, when you just come out and say it, yeah. you know, and then from there, it's like, okay, now we can start, you know, well, so thanks. we laid the foundation and it's like, okay, now we can begin. Thanks having the in experience insight there to uh, soften my nerves a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're in it together. That's funny. Yeah. Um, that being said, I still do want to dive into the book a little bit. Yeah, we can dive, sorry. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about the senses I, and posture. I mean, I like, you talk about like the kind of the far reaching aspects of our life of, that our posture has that we don't think of. And when you hear you say it, you're like, oh yeah, of course I've recognized that. And, but it's not something we like learn through regular schooling. I mean, you might have a mother or father that said stand up straight, but like the way our posture might feed off others or like when you walk into a room, how you're holding yourself in space, like what that does like the link to your mental and emotional state and like how that could even affect the other people in the room or their posture affect you. Yeah. Um, be you open to touching on some of those ideas? It's my favorite conversation ever. I think that like any, like that's like what the book is predominantly about in my opinion. The other thing, everything else is kind of just details of how to get deeper into that relationship. Oh, okay. Um, you know, so like that stand up straight, that can be just a, a band-aid, like a form of like, you know, another analogy would be like spiritual bypassing. You know, so instead of addressing the thing, I just layer on some Eckhart Tolle quotes or something like that. Like, <laughs> okay, cool. He's like totally good. You know, it's like, so that idea of stand up straight, that's like the Eckhart Tolle quote when you actually just want to have a cry. You know, and, and with that stand up straight, what, a, what can be happening in a person from a young age, they could be ingraining that it's not okay to feel. It's not okay to be natural, you know, it's more stand up natural, you know, that's, and if, and if erectness manifests from your natural state, perfect, stand up straight, you know, but if you start with that com compensation of, okay, it's not okay to feel into this different postural pattern, because you can think of your body, it's almost like a tuning fork. You know, when you hunch yourself over into a certain position, which I've experienced this in um, like plant medicine ceremonies, for example, um, slash just general daily life, you know, slash there's an immense amount of research that correlates our postural patterns to the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we even the way that we access memories. So there's 
research that I put into the, the book, I think in the posture personality chapter which is the first chapter um, of, from San Francisco state university. And it was, they had two groups of, of students. And the one group was in this kind of hunched over collapsed. I call it the mopey archetype in the book. And they're in that mopey archetype for a little while. And during that time, they're asked to access different memories. Like think back to some different memories. And what they found is people would more easily be able to access um, more like depressive memories in the times that I felt down, you know, because that postural patterning is anchored, which is a, a neurolinguistic programming term, NLP mm-hmm. term. You've anchored that every time that I go, oh, I drop my shoulders down and I kind of my head collapses down forward and maybe I scrunch my eyes up a little bit. You've anchored that position to be, okay, my body does this, I feel this way. You know, then you take a person winning a race, whether they're blind or have some type of mental disabilities of sorts, or they have, they're deaf, whatever it may be, they win a race, everybody wins a race the same way. You know, you, you cut through the ribbon and your shoulders come up and you smile and your eyes open up and your shoulders come back and you expose your vital organs because you feel safe. You know, and so now you've anchored that position. Okay, cool. Now, students from San Francisco State University slash anybody at home go into this more upright. We call it the aligned archetype in the book. Go into that position. Now, think back. Like, what can you, what can you ponder on inside your mind? And it's like, oh, wow, yeah, I remember that time that I got that trophy. I remember that time the girl said yes to going to the dance with me. That's fascinating, man. You've anchored that. So, okay, cool. Now we have two poles. So I do five postural archetypes in the the book, but there's much more than that. You know, you can look at into Paul Ekman, who I've had him on the podcast as well. He's like the, one of the most cited psychologists ever. Uh, And his study was all facial expressions. So he has, he's, he pointed out specifically 10,000 different facial expressions that human beings make and they all have different specific meanings you know so two ends of the poles feeling really good access this type of sensation feeling really depressed in the literal sense of the word access this type of sensation now what's every meaning in between now you can just you know you can start kind of feeling into that and you'll start to you'll start to to feel different postural patterns have different meanings that's interesting. The fact that it affects what you choose choose to remember that's that's kind of that's kind of crazy. Like I know that I've experienced um, the ability to like change a mood from changing posture, even like smiling. I think you might have even mentioned this book. I think mm-hmm. Sarah, we've put out at least one meditation that is basically just a smile meditation. It's like you're spending some time smiling, and I know. Like I have trouble with this. I definitely have a history, a good amount of like suffering. And so for various reasons, I mean, we all have our own sufferings, but I know that some people definitely have it easier to like smile. Like it's not work. And I find I have a tendency where it's real easy for me to forget how to smile. And, and there's a, like a physical and emotional correlate to that. And I mean, it could be a chicken or the egg thing, but it seems like if you just force yourself to smile, like intentionally, with no like expectation of like, I'm gonna make myself happy or whatever, but just like the practice of changing that facial posture within, I'd say a relatively short period of time, you know, half minute, minute, two minutes, 
like your mood changes, like the chemistry in your body and, or the neurotransmitter relationships in your brain change for the better. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, man, we have a, a lot of say in how we kind of navigate through life and how we experience it. And we could like flip on switches pretty easily. And, you know, the posture thing is, is, is obviously one that we have a lot of control of. Now, some people, you know, might have some kind of restrictions where they're maybe in this moment aren't able to structurally have like what somebody would consider like ideal or optimal posture, but it could always be like some movement in there in that direction. Like, do you have a cue that you give people like if our listeners wanted, well, where do I begin with that? Like, is there some little cue that I could think about yeah. when I'm going through life to like, what's my cue, whether I'm sitting or standing to address it. I know there's a lot more work to be done underneath and groundwork and environmental changes to allow that to be more authentic, I guess, that your posture just naturally is, is in more alignment. But is there like a, a cue that we could kind of walk around with to be mindful of? Or Yeah, there's lots. But the one thing I would just back up because it can be kind of like dangerous territory to define, you have to define better. You know, and so if we say like, okay, if I've got you know, in relation to like neurochemistry, if I have this cocktail of serotonin versus dopamine versus norepinephrine, whatever, versus that's, that's good, that's better, you know, and if, but if this stuff starts coming in and I start to feel kind of down and I start to feel a bit depressed, that's worse, you know, and it's like, well, now you get yourself in the same right. trap, you know, being like, okay, I, I, I want this and I want to push away that. You know, and so then as long as you're in that place, then you're just in this up down roller coaster thing, you know, and then the stock market crashes and you jump off of a building, and the stock market comes back up, you're like, Oh, shit, I shouldn't have jumped. You know, you're happy and you buy champagne, and then it goes down again, you're like, Oh, my God, what am I gonna, and it's like, that's your life. You know, so I think a really important place to be at is a place of not having a better or worse, just having, you know, acceptance. And when you come into that place of like, okay, I feel kind of down and I know that I have these tricks in my bag, you know, I know that I can go and, you know, take a walk and I can look up at some trees, you know, or maybe I can look up at some clouds, you know, and I can, maybe I can take my sunglasses off so I can allow that sunlight to actually penetrate my eyes, you know. And Don't you know that the sun is bad for you, Aaron? Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, and so the, the sun is a very valuable tool uh, slash relationship for us to be able to produce the neurochemistry for us to feel well, you know, and it's like, it's literally, it's like you're, you're charging your battery at a cellular level, you know? So when you go out and expose yourself to that sun, we all know how much sun is too much. You know, it's like, we trust It'll ourselves to, we trust ourselves to drink water. You know, it's not like, it's, it's not like you're like, well, you can't trust people because if they drink too much water, like a hypernatremia, right. you need to go talk to the government and get the FDA and then they'll, they'll pour you exact amount of water <laughs> each day. It's like, are you kidding me? You're like, yeah, I know I drank too much water. I'm not thirsty anymore. <laughs> you know, like I feel kind of uncomfortable. I feel like my belly's like full. I can hear it swishing around. Yeah. I'm like, that's too much water. You're like, oh, sun. You know what I mean? That thing that we've we've evolved with since the beginning of forever. Like you are the sun. You're it like, gives you, you the have, same signal. When you, you have had a too pretty much. good sense when you've had too much sun. You're like, wow, this sun feels pretty hot on my face. Yeah, you know, I feel like I'm getting kind of red. 
you know it's like okay cool maybe um you know put a shirt on put a shirt, you know, yeah. or put a hat on or something like that it's fine you know and so but before that you need to get enough water you need to get enough sun you need to get enough food um you know and so that's a separate conversation but uh, in relation to where was I at getting out talking? Oh yeah. Allowing yourself. So we have all these tools that feels really good to have tools. It's good. It feels good to have resources that makes a person feel safe. And if you feel resource enough, because you do understand the mechanics of, you know, what it means to move optimally effectively to be able to get the most mechanical leverage, you could say, if that's like our goal is like, okay, I'm getting the most leverage out of my hips here. I'm creating the most spaciousness in my spine and my lungs and my organs and, you know, my, my, my brain and the, you know, the, the, the uh, relationship of my, my skull to my neck and my sacrum and my pelvic. It's like, there's this balancey, buoyant type sensation. I know how to move in such a way that creates spaciousness. That's like a really powerful tool to understand. Um, you know, and then I also know how to go out and start to naturally stimulate all of these internal neurotransmitters and such. I can go out and get some sun. I can, you know, pay attention to my diet. I have maybe strong relationships that I can reach out to and kind of talk things out. You know, maybe we go take a walk together instead of just, you know, sitting in a couch kind of talking on the phone with my phone pressed up against my face because I understand the effects of that. You know, so have those resources and then also um, be accepting of the time where it's like, you know what? I just feel like shit. And like, okay, cool. Like, great. Okay too. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Like we could feel like shit together maybe even if you want or maybe or whatever you want. Just know that that's okay. So now you're not in this double bind situation where you're like, I feel like shit and I feel like shit because I feel like shit. And now I feel like shit because I feel like shit because I feel like shit. And you're like, oh my God, I'm like so wrapped up in this thing because I have this story of what's good and what's bad. You know, so all that links back posturally as well. There's good posture, bad posture. You know, I would say there's natural posture. And if you continue chipping away, you know, I heard Sadhguru, I think it was the guy. He said, he said uh, meditation is a thing that just naturally happens. You know, so you don't need to meditate. You know, like you, by doing all the crap that I just described, go take walks out in the sun. Like pay attention to the type of, are you eating meditative food? You know, are you eating like Coca-Cola and Red Bull? You know, are you eating like, you know, whatever, something that's healthy for you, steamed vegetables and some salmon or something, whatever your diet, I don't care. You know, I think it's the history behind where the food came from is more important than the actual title of the food itself. Mm -hmm, um, you know, so it's looking at like, if I do these subtle little things throughout the day, they begin to aggregate and I become meditation. You know, if I, if I do these subtle things throughout the day, they aggregate and I become movement. You know, I become like my highest expression if I do the subtle little things that no one's paying attention to, you know? And so that's, that'd be something I think would be very valuable is don't create a story of what's good and bad because that's dangerous territory. Uh, and also acknowledge that your natural highest expression will just manifest itself by bringing just a little bit more attention into your daily life. Hmm. Well said. Yeah, which, which does... But I mean, you know, to, to create, 
to create change and move that in some direction. I mean, you don't want to be like attached to like it should be this, but it's nice to have some kind of direction. Like you're, you're climbing a mountain yeah. that's got no summit, but you still want to be walking. Mm-hmm. And you're not always going to take steps up, but like in that direction, like you want to be able to observe like this, I'm going on, I'm going this way now. This is the way I'm going and it feels like this. And, and to be able to recognize like when you're off course, like if you were to kind of drink that Coca-Cola or eat McDonald's and you're like, oh, this is what it feels like to consume these things. It feels like crap. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm not on the same track. I'm, I'm over I'm, here right now. I'm climbing the, the, the chossy, tumultuous version of the mountain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's helpful to at least have a general direction that you want your like decisions to be pointed in so that totally. you could, so you know which step to take now and to be able to recognize when you're kind of out of step and not be upset of it because like the attachment to that top will create a conflict when you're outside of that that line but yeah. if you're just like this is what it's like to be outside of the line this moment's like this over here that could be helpful that being said like there's still something we it's still important like we're still like going to be the sum of all these practices that we do and we want to you know ideally facilitate some growth for ourselves where like there's a step that we're working on now they're like there's some practice that we're doing like because we're always going to be the cumulative sum of all the practices we've done so far and all the other things that have you know, interacted with those practices, whether, uh, you know, going back to our childhood, like you mentioned, or even what sounds like maybe even before childhood, as you referenced earlier, but um, can we, let's get into maybe some of the practices that, that somebody might be able to, you know, use as some type of intervention to their life now, like just a little tidbit of, um, and maybe you could touch on some of the things that are like your anchors that you that you rely on as like your daily medicine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so the, the the pattern in this conversation is you come back to actual tools, and then I spin out talking about like <laughs> metaphysical nothingness. Um, so awesome, I have a, I have I like a little it. I have just a little bit of that, and then I'll give actual tools. Uh, so I think it is very valuable to again food and nature, social security code, like come be able to oscillate the lens in and out. And this is a metaphor for your visual muscles. And it also affects the way that you perceive the world and the way that you feel, you know, so can you use those visual muscles, the literal and the metaphorical ones um, to be able to look out into the distance and see what's coming, analyze the terrain. And now can you go more into those myopic muscles and, you know, focus in on what's the step in front of me? You know, and so literally with our visual system, when we are looking up close at things, it's putting our nervous system into more of like an executive function, kind of sympathetic, like get stuff done type place. When you take, when you open up and you go into that panoramic view, think of like a person that you might meet that, you know, you want them to get a bunch of work done and they're just kind of, you know, they're always thinking about surfing or whatever and they're hanging out in the classroom and, you know, you want them to focus in on the book and kind of be stressed out about the test, but they're always just kind of like spacing out, you know, and they're just, oh, he's got his, this fucking Jimmy, man. He comes in, his pants are sagging, 
He's just not focused. You know, he's always just sitting there in the back, just spacing out. You know, I want him to focus in on the teacher. It's like, well, his nervous system is in a place where he's more in that just like taking it all in. Like, I don't really, you know, care about this book or this teacher. I'm just going to kind of go back and kind of go into more of like a resting type place. You know, it's like, but it's time to focus. You know, and so then there's the other person, you know, Lisa, that she's hyper vigilantly focused. She's an A plus student, you know, and she's always locked in on the teacher and she's locked in on the book and then locked in on her phone and the computer, you know, and she doesn't know how to relax. You know, she's just, she never spaces out. You know, she never just sits back and takes it all in. You know, and her nervous system responds to that. You know, it's again, it's another tuning fork. You know, and so we can start to play with the way that we feel based off of the way that we use our visual muscles. So if you're a person that maybe you had too much coffee today or you're stressed out about, you know, the global pandemic or, you know, whatever it may be is happening in your world and you really feel like, God, I feel stressed, I feel like tension in my belly, uh, something that you can do, an actionable technique that you can do is you could literally just go take a walk outside you know you could put your computer screen near a window for example so that you can regularly look up away from the computer screen and look out the window you know and as you look out the window you can start to maybe even take in that whole scene you know so you're literally taking in that panoramic view you're opening up your eyes to be able to take it all in that will trickle back in to your autonomic nervous system and make you start to literally feel in real time more calm. You can stack on top of that. Oh, maybe I'll do, I'm going to do the panoramic vision thing. I'm going to look out. Maybe I'm going to take a walk, you know, as well, which is helpful for all sorts of other things, you know, and then as I do that, maybe I'm going to emphasize my exhalation so that when we exhale, <sighs> you go into that, that if you're a sensitive person, which everybody is, that would make you feel a certain way. Even hearing somebody go, oh. your nervous system goes, oh. Sympathetic <laughs> you know? resonance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're always attuning to each other, including ourselves. You know, so you're attuning to the way that you conduct yourself and the way that I conduct myself and the way that I am attunes to you and vice versa we're always stirring around we're like different ingredients into a, in a pot you know we're like alchemizing to each other we're affecting each other's flavors so just like where we're looking with our eyes or like where the focus or i guess the lack of focus is ties into like our current nervous state so like if we're looking at something very close and kind of fixated on it it's going to encourage like I don't want to say like a stress or maybe like a more of a sympathetic, sympathetic side, like an intensity to it. And mm -hmm. if we're just kind of not so focused or, and just like taking it all in, it's just that in itself could facilitate like more relaxation and a, and a calmness of our yeah. nervous system. And also something that facilitates relaxation is focus. So if you're a person, if you're spaced out Jimmy in the back that, just doesn't give a shit about anything that might start to create some some stressors in his life so every time you breathe in <gasps> that activates more that spins up more that sympathetic fight flight get stuff done side of the nervous system when you breathe out <sighs> that activates more of that okay calm but you do that all day 
right. <sighs> like that's your life. Yin Yang, black, white, you know, moon, sun. It's like, that's like, it's, it's, that's been innate in like every spiritual text slash like movie, anything throughout yeah. history. You know, it's so like, that's the way that you operate effectively. And then you have to define effectively, you know, because again, it's all just words, you know, but it's for the most part, for most people's definition of effectively, that would be the way that you would do that is you're, you're able to seamlessly oscillate between fight, flight, get shit done, grit your teeth, rah, to, oh, complete, just like relaxation, supple muscles, calm, deep sleep, and then get up and boost this cortisol and slam some coffee and like go for a run or whatever like that's fine but if you're stuck in either one where you're always spacing out that will create stress because you don't get shit done if you're stuck in a place where you're always getting shit done that will create stress because you don't know how to rest right hmm. there is something uh there was an exercise maybe you could like even coach the listeners on this because i thought it was i don't know it was really subtle and surprising to me there was an exercise where you stick, I don't know if I'm saying it right, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you stick your thumbs out at like arm's reach and you found a point in the distance. So, I mean, ideally this is done outside, I guess. And if the listeners actually want to yep. try this, that'd be cool. If you're driving, maybe don't do it. Or if you're operating some you know, big machinery or something, but, or if you're like a doctor performing surgery now or the patient for that matter, maybe pause this and do this another time, but like you had your arm extended with like your thumb out and you find something in the distance to uh, uh, fix your focus on. And then you went back and forth from the thumb to that other thing. And I was playing around with this with like both eyes, with one eye, the other eye. And it was cool. It felt like, man, I'm going to the gym for my eyeballs. And, mm -hmm. and I, I always like to like look for ways I could stack modalities and multitask because there's just not enough time in the day. And, I'll be doing something. I'll like do this at the same time. And I was surprised because I do it for, I don't know, a minute maybe. And it felt like there was a neurological change. Like it felt like there was a reset of some sort, like a calming effect just by playing around. And I wasn't looking for that. It just kind of hit me like, what did I just do? I mm. just spent a minute like playing around what I was looking at. Is there, so is that kind of what you're talking about? Just like the, like the zooming out yeah. of your vision, there's some, is some kind of signal to relax neurologically? Is there a mechanism of action there or? Yeah. And so, and so like, like I mentioned, like each, each way is great. If you need to focus in, you've got something that it's important that you, you got to land an airplane or something like that you know, and you're spacing out, you're, you probably naturally, you're going to just focus in inevitably. <clears throat> but if you're a person that does kind of, they're not, you're not a fan of always being so dang spacey, you know, and maybe you're like really artistic, and you just want to throw color at the wall and whatever, but like, you could use a little bit more linearity in your life, then you can practice that, that focusing part. So focusing in on the thumb in this case. All right, talk us through it. So for the listeners, if there's a window, if you're outside, great. If there's a window nearby, are you okay with that, Aaron? Tell yeah, us how yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm going to follow along too. I got a window next to me. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell us what to yeah. do. Yeah. Well, so that, so in the book, we break down various 
different versions of this, um, you know, and so there's a, a great resource from my buddy called Ryan Glatt, who he was actually, he helped me through some of this, like the I exercise chapter. And he works for a place out here that's all about how our visual system affects our, our neurology. Um, but the specific exercise that you're referring to is essentially we're just, you're playing with putting your thumb out in front of you. And so you can alternate in, focus all of your visual acuity into focusing in on that thumb and then playing with, with ease going out into the distance. And so going into maybe you could look out at like a tree branch or look out at a bird or whatever it may be, and then experience how that feels looking out into the distance and then come back into your thumb and see how that feels looking into the thumb. You could also play with moving the thumb back and forth. So you could keep your head in place and alternate going side to side with that thumb. You could alternate same thing, looking out into the distance and kind of looking at something, a, a nice thing that I would recommend is emphasizing looking up and to the left because our visual muscles so often are looking down and to the right towards our cell phones. So little things like that, your eyes, you can think of your eye muscles almost like uh, reins of a horse, you know, so you're pulling those reins, it pulls the, the horse's bit over to the right, so the horse turns to the right. You know, so as we are using our visual muscles, all those muscles are kind of like reins that pull our neck into a certain position. You know, so you can feel this now if you look up and put your head in the back, your hands in the back of your head. It's called the suboccipital ridge. There's these little muscles back here that uh, they will start to, if you just look up with your eyes, you'll literally feel those muscles, erectus capitis, and right, there's all the sorts of different names, but there's a oh, bunch of really hurt. small little muscles. And you'll feel those muscles contract slightly because yeah. they are neuromuscularly wired you know so yeah you know and so uh something that you can play with and realizing like okay when i change my eye muscles that changes my neck muscles i change my neck muscles that changes my you know the way that i i ambulate changes the way that i move through the world i'm literally pulling those reins in a certain direction so if i'm always looking down and to the right that will literally start to from the get-go from our visual system start to create an imbalance in around our head and our neck our head and our neck that's your senses you know that's like you where you drive your 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 vehicle from that place you know so imagine if you like if you had your car you know and the steering column was messed up you know and so it's like it, it feels straight but the wheels are off to the left hmm. you know, like your 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 ride is kind of funny and then you'd figure out how to compensate for that you're like okay when i drive you know i just turn my 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 hands to the right and that's actually straight you figure it out but the time that you finally got it back to like okay you know what do they say 10 and 10 and 2 or whatever oh, like man. i'm back in the middle like wow this feels great i don't have that torsion of my shoulder my hips aren't aren't conked out of whack because i'm kind of reaching over to the right to keep the car straight you know so acknowledging that your visual muscles one just from like a purely mechanical physical level they're tied into your musculoskeletal system and then two, more from like a, a neurological and, you know, more of a, like a, a nervous system level, uh, they're tied into the way that you think and the way that you feel, you know, and then that spills back into the way that we posturally Posture. move through the world, you know, that affects our posture, 
you know, and then that affects the way that we conduct ourselves in relationship. It affects the way that we, the way we perceive ourselves when we look in the mirror. You know, this is like your perception of who you are is in part uh, dictated or at least associated by the way that you move through the world, you know, and the way that you move through the world is deeply associated to who the heck you think you are. You know, so you can change one and it will inevitably trickle into the next. You know, it's like the butterfly effect. You know, you walk down the street and you sneeze and all of a sudden there's like a storm on Saturn, you know, <laughs> in 10 years or something. But even something as little as moving your eye one way as opposed to another way can affect a storm on Saturn. Yeah, your environment around you. Yeah. Far reaching effects of posture. That's cool. Yeah, that's right. Um, I like that. I should have labeled a chapter of that. So you also mentioned an idea that I wanted to touch on. This is I, something that I think I've kind of dwelled in a different use of different words, but there's no pause in self-development. Like you're like, whatever you're doing is, is I guess like what you are training, like you are, you are practicing whatever you're doing. And mm -hmm. it's not like, uh, and you mentioned earlier, like it's not so much the, the hour you spend in the gym, it's the other 23 hours. Like you can't, flip on an adaptation switch like all right i'm going to go to the gym at 1 30 so let me flip this adaptation switch on because i want to adapt to these gym environments from 1 30 to 2 30 and then yep. turn it off and then let everything like my system ignore all the time on the couch or at the dinner table or in the car or, like how how do you account for that like how do you account for that we're almost like fighting back from like the cultural norm where we're always put in these environments. Well, many of us are, you know, defaulted into this, these environments that don't really serve our body well and then affect how we navigate, you know, through our life and how we feel about ourselves. Like, how do you work that into your routine where you account for that concept? Well, I, it starts to get more interesting, you know, the more that you can start to pay attention in daily life, um, like you all, like the idea of being bored, which I'm bored a lot, you know, I, I, that happens where I'm just like, ah, damn it, I'm bored. Like this is, this That's is annoying. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. You know? And so, but one of the things that a person can do, like there was some other research that we included in the book of, um, washing dishes, you know, and just simply paying attention to the act of washing dishes, you know, noticing the, maybe the light bouncing off the bubbles or noticing uh, the temperature of the water, noticing the weight of your feet on the ground, any of that stuff, noticing your breath while you're washing dishes is actually been shown for people to score higher on creativity tests afterwards uh, and also reducing stress levels. You know, so it's like you only have so much bandwidth and for the most part, our bandwidth is kind of pulled into this like chronostasia thing where we're looking out in the future or stuck in the past. And we're kind of like whirling our wheels in these other places other than like right here, right now. And so if you just intentionally bring your awareness into, for example, from a movement perspective, you know, what is it, the contact of my feet on the ground while I walk? Like when was the last time you paid attention to that? Maybe be barefoot. So you add a little bit more information into your feet so you can have a, a, a more in-depth conversation with yourself. You know, notice 
as I'm taking a walk, does my hip extend back? Does my left hip extend back more than my right or vice versa? You know, can I feel my arms swinging or my hands kind of contracted while I'm walking? You know, where's the position of my head and my neck? You know, what's my breath like? You know, is my breath, if, am I breathing through my nose in the first place? Hopefully I am because there's a whole, you could write a whole book about why that's valuable. In People fact, have. Pat, Patrick, <laughs> McEwen, Patrick McEwen did. Um, who yeah, he reviewed the he reviewed the nose breathing chapter in, in my book, thankfully, which was, which was really helpful. That's awesome. Um, you know, and so just by bringing yourself into this like kind of magical experience of just beginning to pay some semblance of attention of what the hell is going on. It's actually one shown to calm you the freak down. Um, also shown to make you become more creative, which, you know, that's, that's just great. Um, and two, it's beginning to set the stage of you becoming like a more conscious person, not conscious in like a snowflake new agey kind of spirulina type way, but like you literally <laughs> are becoming more present in conversation. You're becoming more present with your relationships, with your business, with your own physiology. You know, it's like you are the, no matter who you are, no matter how derelict you think you are, or how, you know, disconnected or whatever, like you run an invaluable business, you know, you run this factory that is yourself. And so your liver function, your heart, your lungs, and the thoughts streaming through your mind, like you are the CEO of this thing, you know, and so if you just let your shit kind of spin out, you don't pay attention to the employees, you don't pay attention to the mechanics of the machines, you know, like you're gonna have a shitty ass company, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be a rough ride in that company. I guess just the act of like observing, it's like practicing observing the self. And in turn, I guess in time, like the observation will change behavior in itself. Like just the act of paying attention to what you do, you're going to wind up changing behavior. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And so by, I mean, shitty ass companies, I'm just kind of being like silly. Um, it's just going to be an uncomfortable company to exist in, you know, would be like a, a, a more intelligent way of saying it. Um, you know, and that's like, I would rather live in a community that feels at ease. You know, you can walk outside and you don't feel like you're under threat. You know, you, you like, you know, your neighbors like you, you know, it's like, that's like, yeah. you're in a place where it's like, well, like, why do my, why do I have good relationships with my neighbors? Why do I have good relationships with people on, you know, wh whoever, you know, why do I have good relationship with myself? It's like, well, I've been paying attention, you know, and I acknowledge like, oh, it's like something's off here. You know, the, the way that I'm using my ankle or my knee or my hip or the way that I'm conducting myself in these conversations, like, I'm kind of like an arrogant jerk, you know, and it's, you know, it's like, well, if I started to perhaps begin that process of just paying attention uh, from a non-biased place, like really like observing this human experience, um, I think that opens up the potential to start to see some of those little, you know, foibles that we might I almost might wonder I mean I haven't really talked about this stuff in any of the content yet but with like the whole pandemic thing and the disease itself and like seeing the populations where it's affected and like you see the areas of these that's like think of like New York City that's a like I get stressed when I'm in New York City like I, I don't have you been in New York City yep. like I find it like chaotic and stressful, just like trying to see which direction I'm pointed and, and where to go. Like, I know a lot of people love it and there's an energy to it that um, I, I could definitely understand why people would dig, but I, there's gotta be like, like that is 
there's like an underlying stress because of the speed. And like, I wonder, mm -hmm. like with, when, I think there's even a study, I think they said where you could tell how large of a city or town someone lives from, from like how fast they walk. Like in New York, people- How walk fast they fast. talk. To walk, how fast they talk, okay. Yeah, like probably, people, probably, probably walk too, but talk right, yeah. for sure. The pace like everything's of moving really fast. And I wonder like, how much self-observation can you have or is there in an environment like that when everything is so packed in and kind of like an unnatural setting? Like that's not natural with it. Well, I mean, it's there. Maybe there is no, there is no, there, there is no natural, no natural. you know, yeah. so you could, so it's a, you could say like, I, I spent a couple of weeks in, living in a hammock in the Amazon at one point. Um, cool. I'm not saying that to be like, hashtag world traveler look at me or whatever but that was just like <laughs> like being there um it's fucking noisy and mosquitoes like i would so much rather be in new york than always like you could literally hear like once the sun goes down you're like i need to be in a net you know and we would be like hanging out talking to these people that i was staying with and you know it's like i was staying at this like little not little. I mean, they were literally like much smaller than I was like this big bearded giant. Um, <laughs> but this family out there in the river, and we're like talking, and, you know, and it's just like the whole time you're just slapping yourself, like literally, like that's what you're doing the whole entire time. And then there's, you know, there's anacondas and there's like snakes and there's like, you know, there's all this stuff mm -hmm. around, totally. you know? And so that's like, well, that's, that's a lot of kind of stuff going on. It's a lot of noise, like frenetic. Yeah. You know, or then you could go out into the desert, you know, and there's like, wow, it's just like this deep, eerie quietness. There's just nothing there, you know, and there's like, well, those are just different gears, right. you know, and cool. so you can be in that place. And it's all if you can come into a place of really being attentive to saying, oh, what do all these mosquitoes do to the way that this feels? What do all these this traffic and, you know, the schedules and all that stuff like what does it do the way that this feels? You know, and then the same thing on the other side. But you can always, always, always have that um, attention. You know, and that's like what Viktor Frankl gets into with Man's Search for Meaning. You know, he's in a place where he's getting passed around, skipped around from concentration camp to concentration camp. You know, and he's like, they're burning his book and they're doing all this terrible stuff to him and his family's dying and all this stuff. And he's like, well, what can't they take away from me? They can't take away my perception of the experience. You know, everything else is, I don't have any control of it. So the second that I start to try to play that game of controlling it, um, I'm just, you know, I'm asking for trouble. And at the same time, play the game. Just don't be attached to the game. Like play the game well, you know, do everything that you can. I'm not saying just flip the board over and say, fuck it. It's like play the game for sure, but don't like be consumed by it. Yeah, it's the attachment where the conflict in your mind is born out of yeah yeah right exactly so when you were there and you're like slapping mosquitoes off you are you were you one i guess were you able to practice that that question you just posed there like what does this mean or what is this like to slap a mosquito like how does that compare to the people you were with the natives like is that no. just did they, they notice? They're probably much better at all these things than I am. I, I mean, I'm still just the fact that I'm talking about all this stuff means that I'm probably pretty shit. You know, <laughs> you know like like you talk about things and you write book about things of stuff that you're trying to figure out. Right. You know, if it's not a thing that you like go really deeply into, it's probably because you're fine with it. You know. So, um, and then I also like when I was there, it was like 
I don't know how old I was, 23 or something like that. You know, and so, um, no, I wasn't oh, thinking right. about it. This is like, this is just retrospect observing. Gotcha. Um, but I'm very keenly, astutely aware that I do not know what I don't know. And I think that that well of not knowing is like this vacuous black hole. And the stuff that I know is like, it's very tiny. It's like a little satchel. Drop in the bucket, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good way to look at it. You know, it's, you know, I, I love this saying. I think I referenced it recently. I mean, knowledge is the biggest obstacle to understanding. Like, you don't want to know things. You just want to stay curious and keep dancing forward. And eventually you can be, practicing. eventually you can be things, you know, and again, it kind of, more to like my own self-deprecation like that like those who know don't say those who say don't know you know so for the most part are like teachers and stuff i.e why you know a lot of there's a lot of issues and with any kind of person that puts themselves into some like pedestalized guru role mm -hmm. you're almost asking for some type of like sex scandal or somebody's <laughs> gonna poison somebody or something like some weird shit's gonna happen because it's not right like people don't do guru well. It's not a play. It's not human. It's not right, in my opinion. You know. And so if you're a play, if you allow that to happen, then and and people say, oh my god, you're the best. You're amazing. And you're like, yes, I am. You're like, okay, well, this is the beginning of the end. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I find the best teachers are the people that don't know that they're teaching. I mean, my kids yeah. are my best teachers. Yeah, right. By far, yeah. they're not out with an intent to teach me. Right. I mean, once in a while, they might intentionally be fucking with me, but really, they're just being who they are, and they're teaching me like how not to hate myself and learn how to love them more. Yeah, that's how you and, teach. Which I, I pretty and how, much and and how you learn. Yeah. You know, you you think you're learning what is on the syllabus, but you're actually learning what, what's in the environment. Yeah. And as a parent, are you, are you a parent? Mm -mm. No. As a parent, it's easy to feel like you fail miserably at those tasks on a regular basis. And you have these constant reminders because you live with your teachers. <laughs> yeah. We do as a, as a parent, you know, again, me talking out my ass because I'm not a parent, but I think it's taking, it's kind of more stressful and less stressful at the same time. It's, it's more stressful because they're just always attuning you're always pouring information into your kids, you know, especially like the younger that they are, but I, you know, I think all throughout. Um, so that's kind of more stressful in a way. So they're, they're going to, they're going to learn based off of who you are, not what you say, you know, and, but then at the same time, it's almost less stressful because you're like, Oh, I don't need to have all this perfect stuff. And like, man, we're a family that doesn't have any money, you know, and now we, I lost my job because of this fucking pandemic stuff. And I like, I just, all we have is sticks and leaves and, you know, spam, like that's literally all we have, you know, it's like, well, I would take that family who has love, you know, and has connection. And, you know, the, the father's really trying and the mother's really trying and they really like care and they have that, that tight knit group happening. Like that's what you're actually teaching, you know? So I'd rather be in that family with no books, no TV, no nothing, um, because we just can't afford it. than the family that's like, we have everything, but the intrinsic stuff's completely, you know, dissolved. Yeah, I find myself um, 
grateful and, and lucky for the situation I'm in and try to remind myself every day. Um, I think I have it good in both of those aspects and I don't want, I don't want to lose sight of that Yeah, and, um, and, and stay humble. Uh, man, I want to respect your time. I don't know how long we've been at it here. It's uh, it's about an hour and a half in. Mm-hmm. I think this has been awesome. I really appreciate, I really appreciate you kind of teaching me along the way how to like relax a little bit doing this. Cause I am like right out of the gate and I still am definitely struggling with like uh, just the general insecurities of like, am I doing this well enough? Am I close enough to the mic or like, I have grown up, you know, spent the last decade in a gym environment where I feel very comfortable and like, I really stay as far away from computers and electronics as possible. I watch like an hour a week of TV and all of a sudden I want to connect with people and I feel like, oh, I have to learn this technology and it's like a little overwhelming. So I appreciate you making it easy on me. I also appreciate you just, um, just the way you spill out your way of the your approach and the way you you look at things it seems it's just a very refreshing way to hear it i hope the the listeners are have gotten something out of it um i want to let the people know how they could reach you and you know what you recommend now and if things are changing because of the current situation is there something you would recommend for them to to try to take a deeper dive into your work Mm. yeah um well so the book, The Align Method, obviously is a great starting point. And then um, I have a podcast called The Align Podcast. So if you're like an audio person, obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably are. Uh, that's been like my, my, my child for the last five years. Okay. So we have, you know, all sorts of interesting people on there, Marion Williamson and Wim Hof and uh, I don't know, Chuck Liddell. There's all sorts of, of really fascinating people that I'm very surprised and humbled that they're willing to talk to me. That's how uh, I felt when you said yes been. to me, man. Oh, good. I appreciate <laughs> it. That's great. Um, and then uh, then we have an online program as well. So there's the Align Method book and then there's the Align Method online program. And the first week is totally free. So people can go in and just try that. Oh, and then great. you can cancel at the end of the week or you know, cancel anytime really. You'll still have the first week. And you will and is have that just an ongoing program or is it like a six week course or so it's set up now as a six week course. Um, I don't know if you knew that or guessed that, but yeah, it's, I it's just six, guessed it's, that man. That's good. Yeah. So it's a six week course. I think six is, yeah, it's a convenient number. It's not too much or, or too little for people to like digest. And each week we give you a new, pretty, pretty simple tasks to follow along with. And so the first week is a lot of breath work stuff and some like basics of, we focus on how to get your head back on top of your shoulders. So if your person has like forward head posture and rolled forward shoulders and all that stuff, essentially people that like are looking at computer screens a lot and holding phones a lot, it's geared really specifically towards that. And so all that stuff is found, you know, alignpodcast.com. Everything's aligned podcast. Okay. So, and we'll link to that in the show notes for all you listeners out there. Um, And it says you're a manual therapist. Do you still practice that or? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, Is so that it's, shut it's, down with the current situation out there in California? I assume not. Are I mean, technically, to do that or? probably should be. But no, I, I mean, I still see, like, I have, like, core clients that I see. But uh, the major part of my business now is more programs and books. And I've been doing a lot of, like, corporate teaching stuff over Zoom, which is interesting. Okay. But I like... 
I'm a fan of audiences. I get, I have like, I, that to me is just very inspiring to be in a room of, I don't know, more than one person and uh, get to be able to like ride that wave. I just find that very interesting. So that's what's interesting to me these days. Awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to share for the audience before we let you go? I don't think so. I mean, I think we pretty much talked it out here. Man, I really appreciate it. Uh, for listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed it and let the community know if you can, um, leaving comments. And if you have anything you want to share, we'd, we'd like to uh, hear what you got out of it. Aaron, I'd like to thank you again, man. I really appreciate it. Hopefully uh, we could do this again sometime in the future and maybe one day even in person. Yeah, man. Let me know. All right. For everybody out there, you guys have a great day. All right. See you, bud. Well, I hope the listeners got some value out of that conversation. I know myself, I enjoyed it quite a bit and got a lot of value out of it. Aaron is a tremendous personality, and I think he offers a lot to learn from, and he really seems to embody what he talks about and what he, he preaches. I mean, he walks the walk, and it shows, and I think that's just really nice for us to, to have out there to learn from. Um, if you enjoyed this conversation, please do me a favor and put a review on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I've been getting some feedback. It's still in the early phase of this uh, journey, and the, so far the feedback's been really positive. So for those that are listening, if, if you're one of those that was gracious enough to put that positive feedback out there, I thank you personally for that. And if you haven't yet, I do encourage you to do so. I do appreciate your listening today, and I hope you stay tuned for more episodes. Have a great day.